good morning. Great to see you. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and I'm excited this morning. We're beginning a series in the book of Hebrews, so if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is uh, sort of towards the end of the New Testament, after um, the letters of Paul, before you get to... uh, John and Peter and Jude and Revelation. If you're uh, following along in one of those blue uh, church Bibles, uh, let's see, Revel- uh, Hebrews is on page 1001. Pretty cool. Um, we're starting a, a, a series this morning um, where this is going to take us up to uh, Christmas. So there are 13 chapters. In the book of Hebrews, there are 12 Sundays between now and Christmas, so we're going to look at roughly one chapter a week, so if you're following along at home, um, which I would encourage you to do, you could, uh, you could read a chapter of Hebrews every week, um, and then you will come to church on Sunday morning having uh, some idea of what you're going to hear about. Um, would you stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses? Let's give our attention to God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you speak to us? We just read that you have spoken in many ways through the prophets, and we have um, their words recorded for us in the Bible, and yet you've spoken to us finally in your Son. And so our prayer this morning is that you would speak to us uh, through Jesus by the power of your Spirit. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, it was the mid-1950s, and Davy Crockett had captured the imagination of little boys across the country. Davy Crockett, who was born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, uh, Davy Crockett, the king of uh, the wild frontier, Davy Crockett had represented Tennessee in the House of Representatives and died fighting at the Alamo. And Davy Crockett, um, in the 1950s, became a folk hero legend when Walt Disney created a TV show, I think based loosely on the life of of a man named Davy Crockett. And uh, suddenly, little boys across the country all wanted to have a coonskin cap of their own. I remember uh, much later than the 1950s wanting a coonskin cap of my own. I don't know why that seemed like the pinnacle of fashion to uh, 
from about ages 8 to 12. But it was during that time in the 50s, in the mid-50s, that a little 10-year-old boy, obsessed with Davy Crockett, heard about an offer from Campbell's Soup. And Campbell's Soup was saying that if you got maybe three or five labels from a Campbell's can of Campbell's Soup, and you mailed them in with like a dollar fifty, which was like you know one hundred and fifty dollars in the fifties, right? <laughs> that um, Campbell's would send you back a coonskin cap of your own, and so. This little boy convinced his mom to go to the store and buy some tins of Campbell's soup. And uh, of course you had to eat them, like in the 50s, your mom would probably make you eat them before you could take the label off. It's not like now when my kids just dump out the cereal to get the toy. So it probably took weeks, you know, convince this, eat all this soup, save a buck 50 and mail it in. And, uh, and then he waited. And a couple weeks went by, maybe two weeks went by, and oh, that's, that's about long enough. And he started, he would get out of school, and at the end of school, he'd run home and run back to the mailbox with his you know, hopes just bursting out of his heart that, that maybe today would be the day, and he would get home from school, and it, and it wasn't the day, it wasn't the day. And after maybe six or eight or 12 weeks, it felt like forever. One day, he got out of school, and he ran home as full of hope as ever, and he got to the mailbox, and there in the mailbox was a manila envelope with his name on it from Campbell's Soup, but something about it just didn't seem quite right. And he tore into that envelope, and he pulled out kind of a khaki canvas baseball-shaped sort of a hat. He thought, this isn't right, and he kind of unflattened it, and there was a, on the front above the bill, there was a sewn of patch of brown fur. <laughs> and there was a note in the envelope with sort of a weak apology that said we ran out of coonskin hats <laughs> and we hope that you're satisfied with this as a substitute. And he wasn't. <laughs> he was heartbroken. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like that in your life? <laughs> Have you ever ex had the experience where reality didn't live up to your expectations? Of course you have, right? We've all had that experience where we've had these hopes and these dreams. Maybe we've seen the ads and yet the reality does not live up to what we have expected. Uh, maybe it's a relationship where we think, finally, you know, this person is going to make me feel cared for and the reality doesn't live up to the expectation. Or maybe it's... Um, you know, it's a new home, a new, new house, and we think, finally, we're home. Maybe it's a vacation, or you go on Airbnb, and you book the, this house, and it's just, it looks perfect. And then you roll up, and you have to pull out your phone and be like, I, I guess that is the same house. If you take it from a very particular angle, it could fit. Um, you know, the reality just so often feels like it doesn't live up to our expectation. We have these hopes, these longings for how things are going to be, but reality is often disappointing. And the book of Hebrews is written to Christians who were having that experience. Uh, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people much like you and me. They're living in a pluralistic culture. They're living in a time and a place where there is no consensus on things like faith and truth and uh, everybody just kind of does their own thing. 
And Hebrews is written to this group of people who had shown some initial interest in Christianity. And they had had their, their curiosity peaked and their imagination stirred by this man named Jesus. And uh, they had followed him and they put their trust in him initially. And yet life goes on and the world around them doesn't really seem to take any notice. And, uh, and they begin to experience some form of persecution and they're beginning to wonder, is this it? Like, is this really what we were, what we were really longing for? Is Christianity all that they had been led to believe? Here's the question that the book of Hebrews is designed to answer. The question is this, if, life, if God is so good and if he loves us and if he, if he wants our joy, then why is life so hard? Why doesn't life seem to live up to what we would expect of it? Is, is Jesus really worth it? That's the question. Um, some strange, so Hebrews is kind of a strange book. Um, strange because we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, there's been different theories about maybe Paul or Apollos or a guy named Clements. Um, uh, the various theories, I think, nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is, is the kind of the most elevated, lofty, polished Greek in the New Testament. It kind of stands out that, for that way. It also stands out because we don't really know who it was written to. Um, but we, we can tell just from the way that it's written and the things it talks about that Hebrews was written to a group of people that had a background in Judaism. Uh, they understood the Old Testament. Hebrews is constantly going back and kind of unpacking the Old Testament and showing, um, well, what the Old Testament means for uh, people who have put their trust in Jesus. And uh, so anything you read, if you, if you, you know, do any study at all, if you look at a study a Bible, every commentary I looked at in the last couple of weeks kind of makes the same point, that the, the point of the book of Hebrews is to say that Jesus is better than anything or anyone. So here's the picture. There's a group of people with a religious memory who had embraced Jesus, but now under the pressures and realities of life, they are wondering, is Jesus really enough? Or let me put that in slightly more modern terms. Maybe you grew up in a family, a very religious family, where you know it was just sort of assumed that there's a God and that the Bible is true. Or maybe you grew up in, in, a, in a culture, maybe you grew up in the Bible Belt, maybe you grew up in a, you know, just in a culture where that was kind of the general assumption, it was just always there, and so growing up you took that on, this belief that yeah, there's a God, sure, of course, sure, the Bible's probably true. But now you've grown up, and you're in a different place in life, and you're wondering the same thing as the original audience of the book of Hebrews. Is Jesus enough? Uh, is Jesus really enough? You know, life is hard, and I'm trying to raise my kids and hold down a job and maybe, you know, keep a marriage together, and so this religious kind of memory of Christianity doesn't seem to do a whole lot for me in the day in and day out of life. And we're wondering, is Jesus really enough? Or maybe uh, you're thinking, you know, there are a lot of ways to find happiness and comfort and satisfaction in life. And yeah, my grandmother seems to get a lot of joy out of her faith. And I'm really happy for her. But we've got passes to Disneyland, and it's the happiest place on earth. 
I've been taking a shot at Disneyland a couple of months. <laughs> We've got a Netflix subscription that provides endless entertainment, or at least distraction. You know, uh, we have a lot of things to make us happy. We carry around, you know, uh, supercomputers in our pockets that are always there to provide us entertainment and distraction. And so we're wondering, can Jesus really be enough now? Or maybe um, some of us have kids and, you know, it seems like maybe there was a time in the past, there were simpler times where if you just kind of got through school, you'd get a decent job and live a good life and everything would be fine, but it doesn't really work that way anymore. And we've got to make sure our kids have every opportunity. And so we shuttle our kids from activity to activity. And yes, of course, we want them to be good people and we want them to know that there is a God who loves them and that's great, but like, let's not take it too... You know, let's not let it get out of hand here. And we wonder, can Jesus really be enough for my kids? Is Jesus really enough? If God is so good, why is life so hard? That's the question. And um, I want you to ask that question every week, because what we're going to do between now and Christmas is I'm going to try to unpack for you the way that Hebrews answers that question. It's going to come back over and over and over again and say, Jesus is better than everyone or everything else. But I want you to sit with that question. I, want you to re- I don't want you to... Because here's the thing. Is Jesus enough? He either is or he isn't. <laughs> and I think that most of us live somewhere in between those two places where it's like, he's, he's okay. Like, I'm glad that, yeah, I think maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I like him. He either is or he isn't good enough. He either is or he isn't enough. Um, Ask that question. Hebrews is going to tell us this. Life is a journey. And just like every good adventure, life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns and sorrows and joys. The most boring movies are the ones where only good things happen, right? And your life is a journey. It's not a sprint, it's a journey. And so Hebrews is telling us, if you're going to make it to the destination, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Life is a journey, it's not a sprint. And so keep asking that question, is Jesus enough? Hebrews is going to tell us over and over again that Jesus is better than everyone and everything. Now, you're at church So you would kind of expect me to say something like that. But this is what Hebrews is saying. Uh, Jesus is better than physical health. Jesus is better than sexual fulfillment. Jesus is better than flat abs. (laughs) That's what I really want for Christmas. (laughs) Jesus is better than two weeks in Maui. Jesus is better than granite countertops. Jesus is better than a full bank account. This is what Hebrews is going to tell us over and over again. So keep asking that question. Is Jesus really enough? Because life is a journey, and if you're going to reach that destination, Hebrews is telling us you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And so the first thing that Hebrews does in chapter 1 is tell us who this man is. And so I want you to just look at um, three things in this passage And the first thing that Hebrews tells us is this, Jesus is God's final word. Verses 1 and 2 say this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, 
He has spoken to us by his son. Now, think about the, the context here. Um, this church, the, the people who got this letter in the mail one day, um, they've embraced Jesus, and now they're, um, they're experiencing persecution, they're experiencing discomfort because they've trusted Jesus. And the writer, uh, they open up this letter, and this writer's going to encourage them, and he says, I've got good news for you. God has spoken to you, and he's telling you about Jesus. Now, if that doesn't strike you as mildly anticlimactic, I'd suggest that maybe you're not paying attention. Because, like, wouldn't it be really nice if he said, God has spoken to you and he's given you five ways to keep your job. Or maybe five ways to avoid being thrown to the lions. I mean, they're experiencing persecution in the Roman Empire. Um, Five ways to kind of make it through the day and keep your head held high. No, he says... (laughs) I want to tell you about Jesus. Now, our experience is a little bit different. Um, I don't think that uh, in the U.S. we're experiencing what could be called persecution uh, as Christians, maybe just indifference. Um, but I do think that um, we know what it's like to read this. God has spoken to us, and he's spoken to us in an ultimate and final way in Jesus. And we can hear those words and be like, okay, great. <laughs> Who cares? Um, you know, if you talk to almost anyone in our culture today, they'll tell you, you know, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not super religious. Um, you know, I experience God when I go to the beach, when I go for a hike, when I'm out in nature. Uh, it's great. Like, you read the Bible. That's great. You know, tomato, tomato. What's the deal? And the Bible is clear, like we saw, like I read at the beginning of the service in Psalm 19, that the, that, uh, the Bible is clear that the, the glory of God is displayed in the, in the created order around us. Um, But what it's saying is that you can actually know God, not just know that there is a God, but that God has spoken to you. God has spoken to us in his word, and God has spoken to us ultimately in his son. And so what Hebrews 1 is saying is that for many years, for, for hundreds of years, through prophets, God has sent his word to his people. It's like he's been calling on the phone and saying, I'm here, I'm telling you some things, but finally he has shown up in Jesus. Um, you know, it's a little bit like saying, um, you know, we know that there is a president, right? But you can actually know him. Don't read too much into that. Whether you want to or not, I don't want to hear about it. Um, but Hebrews 1 is saying you can actually know him. You can actually know, not that there is a God, but you can know who he is. You can know... Um, him because he has spoken to you. When I was growing up, um, I had a neighbor across the street, and from you know, I don't know, six, seven years old. I just always loved to build stuff as a kid, and I built when I was like eight years old or so. I just found some wood in the garage, and I built this like little sailboat. I mean, like it was ugly and terrible, but I just built this thing. I just always loved building stuff, and I had this neighbor who lived across the street named Mr. Pernick, and I, every time as a kid, I would be out there in my garage, and Mr. Pernick would walk over, and he'd, he'd talk to me about what I was doing, and he'd, he'd, ask, he'd probably, you know, save me from injuring, injuring myself, and as I got a little bit older, when I remember when I got my first car, I was installing a new stereo in my car, and um, I had, like, cut something that and the car wasn't going to turn on anymore. And Mr. Pernick comes over and he fixes it. And a couple years later, he one day I was building like a new uh, speaker boxes for my. I was going to build these speakers in my in my truck. 
And I had like I bought some wood. I'm like there with a handsaw. And Mr. Pernick comes over and he just drops what he's doing and spends the day helping me build speaker boxes for my car. And you know, as a kid, it never really um, like it never really occurred to me what was going on there. But looking back, it's like why did this guy take an interest in me? You know, like what? It, it kind of strikes me that there, it's something about the nature of naivete and Im the immaturity of childhood to say, like, well, of course, like he just, why wouldn't he be interested in me? But looking back, I mean, there's so many days where, um, you know, this man probably just at the drop of a hat gave up his Saturday to come across the street and build something with this kid. And why did he do that? I didn't really think anything of it as a kid. But looking back on it, something different was going on. And it just said, like, why did he take an interest in me? It's pretty common for us to say, like, of course God speaks to me. But is it not maybe a, a, a marker of our immaturity to just assume that it should be that way? And is it not maybe a sign that we are growing up to say, you know, there's nothing particularly special about me that would make the God of the universe pay attention to me or take an interest in me. And yet he has spoken to me. He has spoken to us. He's spoken. Hebrews 1 says, for a long time he spoke through the prophets. He called us on the phone and then finally says, don't get confused when it says now in these, in these last days. You know, for so long the Jewish people knew that in the last days the Messiah would finally appear. And Hebrews 1 is saying, finally, the Messiah has appeared. Finally, he has spoken to us in his Son. Finally, he has shown up. In Jesus, he didn't just send us his words, but he actually walked into our lives and into our world. And that means that you can know who God is, not just know things about him, not just say things like, you know, it just seems to me like God wouldn't do this or God wouldn't do that. I'm very wary of any time somebody says, it just seems to me like God wouldn't, you know, 50 years ago, we had a, as a culture, you know, a, a slightly different common sense view of what God would and wouldn't do. Um, but we don't have to speculate about what God would do. We can listen um, to him. We can know him. Um, there are lots of ways that we could apply that, but briefly, let me just ask this question. What words are you listening to? What words do you listen to to tell you what is good and what is true, to tell you how you should think about the world and about yourself? Because we hear a lot of words, don't we? Um, I, I heard this week that, that the average adult says, speaks like 16,000 words a day. We speak all the time, and then we hear, we're, we talk, and we listen, and we hear stuff. Like, where are you going? Are you looking on the internet to tell you um, how you should think about the world? Do you listen to the news um, to tell us what God is doing in the world? Do we look to our circumstances to tell us what God is like? I think the book of Hebrews would say, don't look to your struggles to tell you what God is like. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. God is speaking through his son. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Now, why should we listen to him? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus is the word of God? Well, the second thing I want you to see in this passage is, is that Jesus is not just the final word of God, but he is the exact character 
of God. Verse 3 is, is astounding. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, it says three things. Jesus radiates the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature or the character of God. And he holds the material universe up with his words. <laughs> I, I mean, can we just let that sink in for a minute? Because um, that is either true or false. I mean, that... <laughs> Those three statements about Jesus are either true or they are not true. And I think that we have the tendency to think about Jesus as like this guy who had great hair or bad hair, whichever, and he wore a dress and um, he walked around saying these things that were kind of like fortune cookie statements and he just made people feel kind of happy most of the time and then one day somebody just came along and killed him and it was kind of a bummer. Um, no, like he, he either is what Hebrews 1 is saying or he is not. But to say, well, he's a great guy, but we don't think he's actually what the Bible says he is, isn't a logical place to land. He's either, you know, a con man or he is God in the, in the flesh. And if Hebrews 1 is true, if these three statements are true, we can't simply... Um, you know, bring him into, his, into our lives like he's going to come and just affirm everything that we're already doing. Um, if, he is who he, if, if he is who Hebrews 1 is claiming he is, he doesn't just come into our lives like the cherry on the top, and he breaks into our lives and he rearranges everything about them. Um, I mean, look at, look at what it says. He radiates the glory of God. He doesn't reflect the glory of God like a, like a mirror, but he actually radiates it like the sun radiates light. He is the source of the glory of God. Throughout the Bible, uh, the glory of God is consistently revealed or like re, uh, referred to or explained in terms of fire. Uh, we see in the book of Exodus as the... As the Jewish people wander in the wilderness and God appears, the glory of God appears as a pillar of, of fire. Uh, at the burning bush, God appears to Moses as fire, as a burning bush. You know, um, the Mount of Transfiguration, when the veil is pulled back and, and, um, and the disciples see Jesus as he truly is, they're kind of blinded. He is blindingly white. Why is God um, consistently, the glory of God consistently referred to or uh, as fire? Well, um, I, I think there, several years ago, let me, let me say this, several years ago, I, uh, I took my older two boys um, camping. I think they were like two and three or three and four. We went camping for a night. It was the most intense experience of my life. <laughs> Um, camping with little boys <laughs> and all kinds of reasons but mostly because of fire you know you sit or like as adults we can just sit uh, stare at a fire but if you're a little boy you have to put stuff in the fire constantly and as a parent who cares about his children it's nerve-wracking because what, what I mean fire is it's alluring, it's intriguing, it draws us into it, and yet it's dangerous, right? 
And I think that's what we're seeing when we, when we are told that the glory of God is like fire. It pulls us in, and yet it is dangerous to get too close. It's to be burned. Theologian N.T. Wright said this. He uses a slightly different metaphor, but I think this gets, gets at the point here. He says this, How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It either means the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. You cannot look at the sun without it destroying your eyes. Hebrews is saying that you cannot look at the glory of God um, without it destroying you, and yet Jesus is the one who is the, who is the glory of God, who has come in a form that you can relate to. Verse 3 also says this. It says, he upholds the universe with the word of his power. i got to move a little faster here. Um, I, I, I heard somebody, I heard uh, Tim Keller said this about this statement. Um, he says, if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92, mi- 92 million miles, were reduced to the thickness of a piece of paper, then the distance from earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is only one little speck of dust in the universe. And if there is a person who holds that all together with his words, then you cannot ask him to come into your life and be your personal assistant. He is not going to come into your world to do what you want. If he upholds the material universe like I keep going like this. Like it doesn't say it says with his words. <laughs> He's going to rearrange things in your life, not do what you ask him to do. I think that we tend to be um, in our culture nervous about the exclusive claims of Christianity. And so we talk about Jesus in terms of his usefulness to us. That he, if we, if we ask him into our lives, that he will do things in our lives, and he'll give us meaning and purpose, and those things are all true and good. But I don't think they're primary. I think what Hebrews is telling us is this is the truth about who he is. He doesn't operate on our terms. He rearranges our lives, not the other way around. Third thing we see in verse three, it says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, and the the image that's being used there is like a um, a coin and and a the mold that would be used uh, you know to take a mold of a coin where you would put something against the coin and make an imprint of it, right? And it, it is an exact representation. That that word actually it refers to the character um, of God. It's saying that Jesus. Is, is not like a photocopy, or remember in like, a, I'm just barely old enough to remember a mimeograph, and they were like those blue things, and they've been copied so many times that they're all distorted and bent out of shape. No, Jesus is the exact representation of the character of God. He's the very character of God. He's come into the world to show us what God is like, and here's what that means for us. Somebody used this illustration a long time ago. Um, 
He said, if you took, uh, you, you know how you used to close envelopes, like back in the day, how you'd seal envelopes? You would take some wax and melt it, heat it up and melt it, and then you would take a, a stamp or a character, right? And you'd dip it in the wax, and then you would put it on the envelope, and that would permanently impress that character into the wax as it cooled. Um, what happens if you try to put that stamp onto a piece of wax that hasn't been melted? Well, one of two things is going to happen. Either it will make a, a superficial impression in the wax, or it will break the wax. But in order to make an imprint, a lasting imprint, the, the wax has to be melted first. <clears throat> and the point is this. If you see what Hebrews 1 is saying about Jesus, and you say... That's really inspiring. I'm going to try to become a better person. That will either leave a superficial impact in your life, or it will break you. Either you will uh, try really hard to be a good person, and superficially you'll do it, but inside you'll be filled with pride and insecurity because you're trying, you're trying, but it's superficial. Or... The attempt to live up to the demands of God's law will crush you. And so if the glory of Jesus is going to leave a lasting impression on you, first it's got to melt your heart. How's that going to happen? We'll look at the third thing briefly here. Um, the third thing that, that Hebrews tells us is this, that Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down. Listen, Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the fullness of God. He is our deepest need. He is our greatest provision. And here's the reality. Um, we are not the people that we should be. I am not the person that I should be. We don't live up to our own standards. We don't, um, you know, I set these goals on my, on my phone. I got this app. Like, I'm going to run four times a week. I have never actually, like, run four times in a week. Um, at least not in the last half of my life. <laughs> I don't know why that just popped into my head. Um, we don't live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. We're not the people that we want to be. Um, and, you know, we try to say things like, you know, superficial things like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Nobody's perfect. Um, listen, there's good news. There's good news. There's good news for people like us who don't live up to God's standards, much less our own. There's good news for people who are anxious, who know our vulnerability. Uh, there's good news for people who, see, who would see the, the glory of God, the, Jesus radiating the, the, the glory of God. If we would encounter that, we would be terrified. But there is good news, and it is this. Jesus sat down. He came into this world. He lived a perfect life. It says, Hebrews three, uh, 1 verse 3 says that after he had made purification for sins, he sat down. He went to the cross. On the cross, he paid for your sins to cleanse you. He was buried. Three days later, he gets up. He wakes up in the grave and walks out. He appeared to people for you know, 40 days or so. He ascended into heaven. He went into the throne room of God and he sat down because his work is done. 
I mean, how hard is it for you, for me, to stop working? We have to, I have to make these elaborate strategies to try to get like a couple hours away from work. We go on vacation, I go on vacation, I don't know if you do this, I go on vacation and promise my kids like, I'm not gonna look at my phone. I'm not gonna check my, oh, there's just this one email I gotta respond to, I just have to. Why, because work is never done. Hebrews 1 says Jesus finished what he came to do. He sat down, he is the radiance of God's glory who has come to make God relatable to us. He is the exact character of God who comes to melt your heart. He upholds the universe with his pinky finger. He's come to rearrange your life. He is God's final word who came so that you can know God and be reconciled to him. He made purification for your sins to make you clean. And he is done. Mic drop, right? Jesus did all of this. And so here's the question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? I've got to be honest. I asked that question gosh, the last two months, like every day, every hour. Is Jesus enough? Is he? I'm trying to communicate to you that I don't ask that question in a Sunday school superficial way. Is Jesus really enough? Because it is very easy for me to let cynicism kind of become the order of the day. Cynicism meaning, okay, is Jesus really enough? Well, if we just don't expect that much from him, then we won't be that let down by the, by the you know, by reality. Is Jesus really enough? Jesus is enough. What about you? Is Jesus enough? Is he really who he says he is? And if he is, is he truly enough? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these powerful words that give us a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And I pray that you would protect us from our impulse as people living in the U.S. in 2018, where we've kind of seen everything and nothing really impresses us. God, would you elevate our expectations over these next 12 weeks as we look uh, at the book of Hebrews together? Would you... um, Help us to come in here each week with just lofty, lofty hopes because these words are either true or false. And it does us no good to respond to them in a superficial way. God, we pray that you would melt our hearts, that we would see that Jesus is enough because he's not just barely enough. He is so overwhelmingly more than we need. He is good. He is lavish. He has abundant. Uh, he, he has lavished your love on us with abundance. Would you help us now to smile and sing as we come to your table? 
would you use these simple elements of bread and wine uh, to nourish us, to strengthen us, to establish our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.